Hey listeners, I recently launched an ad-free Serial Napper feed so that you can enjoy the podcast without interruptions. Elevate your Serial Napper listening experience by joining my Patreon community and get yourself an ad-free feed on Spotify. For just $2 a month, you can become a member today and unlock ad-free episodes while still supporting the podcast. It's super easy. Just visit Serial Napper on your Spotify app and click the button at the top that says exclusive episodes for subscribers. Don't use Spotify for your listening? No problem. Just visit patreon.com slash Serial Napper to get your episodes ad-free and enjoy uninterrupted storytelling while you get your naps in. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hey everyone, my name is Nikki Young and this is Serial Napper, an international true crime podcast. I'm covering another Canadian case tonight. It's one that I've been following closely since it happened back in May of 2020. I was really hoping we would have some more answers or direction by now, but unfortunately we don't. And while we cannot definitively say that this is a true crime case, the mysterious disappearance of three-year-old little Dylan Ehler did occur under suspicious circumstances. And it's important that we keep talking about Dylan and sharing his story because this little boy is still missing and his family desperately wants him home. Before we talk about our case, tonight's episode is sponsored by GarageStoresWithAZ.com. If you haven't checked out their online shop of awesome and innovative vehicle accessories, this is your reminder that you're missing out on some seriously cool stuff. They have everything from car organizers to accessories and repair tools, cleaning supplies, and so much more. Honestly, they have the coolest vehicle accessories you never even knew existed, but now that you do, you need them. They also provide free four-day shipping in the U.S., free returns, and a money-back guarantee so that you can feel confident in your purchase. But above all else, one of my favorite things about their online shop is that they have a ton of product reviews so you can really find out the quality and the usefulness of the product you're interested in buying beforehand. Check out garagestoreswithaz.com for all of your accessory needs. And stay tuned halfway through tonight's episode for some of the latest car gadgets I found while browsing their shop. Now let's jump in. On May 6th, 2020, around 1 p.m. in the afternoon, in the quiet town of Truro, Nova Scotia, which is in Canada for my American listeners, three-year-old Dylan Ehler was outside playing in the yard of his grandmother's house. He was wearing a camo winter jacket with fur on the hood that had these little patches all over it. He had a red dinosaur t-shirt on, camo jogging pants, and gray and orange rubber boots. May in Nova Scotia is still quite chilly out. Everything is sort of thawing out and it can get really wet, muddy, and murky. Dylan wasn't in the yard alone. His maternal grandmother, Dorothy Parsons, was outside playing with him and watching him, but she became distracted for only a moment by her puppy that had been in the yard with them. 
The puppy was doing all the things that puppies do, running around, jumping, getting into things. So she tied it to its lead, turning her back to Dylan only for a moment. Now, according to Dorothy, after she had attached the lead to the puppy's collar, she turned back around and Dylan wasn't in the yard any longer. She had that immediate feeling of panic. If you're a parent, you know the feeling well when you lose sight of your child for a moment at the park or the grocery store. Dorothy began calling out Dylan's name, but no answer. She ran out into the street, yelling for Dylan even louder, hopeful that he had just wandered nearby, but there was no answer. Now she was absolutely frantic. She shouted for a neighbor to call 911 while she continued walking down the road calling out for Dylan. Thankfully, the police showed up pretty quickly, about only four minutes after the call, and a search for the toddler ramped up. They began searching any nook and cranny that a toddler may be hiding in. Because Dorothy's home was in such close proximity to a brook, police focused much of their efforts there. The water was really high that day with a strong current, and everyone was worried that he may have fallen into the stream. Nothing had been found until around 7.20 p.m. that evening when the search team discovered Dylan's rubber boots in two different locations. One boot was found in a shopping cart that had been submerged in Leper Brook, which was only about two minutes on foot from his grandmother's home. The other was found stuck in the mud further down the brook, close to where it ran into the Salmon River, which feeds into the Bay of Funday. Now, while the brook itself isn't all that deep, Salmon River had a high tide at the time, and the Bay of Funday is known to have the highest tides in the world. Now, police were quite certain that Dylan must have gone into the water, that he likely ran from the yard down to the brook, where he was swept downstream into the Salmon River, and possibly even into the Bay of Funday. Now, police believed that this was probably going to be a recovery mission. The search went as late into the night as they could, with police using underwater cameras and thermal imaging devices, but they found nothing, literally nothing, none of Dylan's clothing or anything, nothing besides those rubber boots. The following day, police decided to use a mannequin that they rigged up to be about the same weight as Dylan, and they put it into the river to see if it would be possible to be pulled downstream and out to sea. But the water levels were not the same. They were much lower than the day that Dylan went missing. It couldn't really be recreated. The mannequin kept getting caught in the brush, but it's unclear if that's because of the different water characteristics or because it was just not possible for Dylan to have been pulled downstream without also getting caught in the brush. They did this a few times. Eventually, they were able to get the mannequin to flow downstream, but it took quite a few tries. Police continued to search the water for nine more days, and then on May 15th, it was announced that the search would be halted until new evidence or clues were found that pointed to the water. That's when rumors and drama began to swirl around Dylan's parents and family, creating this really toxic and divisive climate in Truro. But before we get into all of that, let's talk about Dylan and his family. The bright-eyed boy with the sweetest smile and chubby little rosy cheeks. He was born in 2017 to his parents Ashley Brown and Jason Ehler in Bible Hill, Nova Scotia, which is just outside of the town of Truro. He was always a very active and happy and energetic little boy, known to scare his mom with his daredevil braveness. 
Seriously, he is one of the cutest little guys I've ever seen with his two different colored eyes, one hazel eye and one that was half hazel, half blue. Ashley also had a little girl named Lily from a previous relationship that Jason was helping to raise, and the family lived together in a semi-detached house in Bible Hill. Just before Dylan went missing, things were really tense and difficult. This was all in the midst of a lockdown from COVID, and you all know how that can be when you're stuck in close quarters with your family for far too long. It's stressful, and if anyone says otherwise, they're lying. Lily was 12 years old and having to do her schooling remotely, all the while Dylan was your typical three-year-old boy who enjoyed running around the house playfully, and it was just a lot on his parents. Beyond that, both Ashley and Jason had recently lost their jobs, so money was really tight. Ashley had worked as a car detailer and Jason had worked in delivery. Things were pretty fair and steady prior to this, but losing their jobs was a big blow. Plus, their relationship was never perfect. No one's is, but they were known to really get into it with each other. Right before Dylan went missing in May of 2020, Ashley and Jason had a huge altercation. On this morning, both of them had just woken up on the wrong side of the bed. Ashley was exhausted with everything that was on her plate during the lockdown, and Jason was frustrated with a feud that he had been having with a neighbor. He had suspected the neighbors were egging his house, and now they were outside banging on their windows. Taking their frustrations out on each other, Ashley and Jason got into a massive fight. Ashley hit Jason, and he in return yelled at her that he'd kill her, smashing her phone on the kitchen floor. Someone had heard the pair fighting, and they called the police, who charged Ashley with assault and Jason for uttering threats and mischief. It wasn't a good situation, and it was clear that they shouldn't be anywhere near each other, at least for a while, so a no-contact order was issued. Jason went to stay with his parents while Ashley remained in the home to care for both Dylan and Lily. The charges for both Ashley and Jason would later be withdrawn after the two agreed to go through a counseling program, but in the meantime, their parents would act as the middleman to arrange for Dylan to visit between Jason and Ashley nearly every day. Now on this particular day, the day that Dylan would go missing, the happy toddler had spent the night with his mother sleeping beside her in bed. When it was time to get up, Dylan and Ashley went to a nearby coffee shop for breakfast where Dylan had a chocolate glazed donut while his mother had her morning coffee. After that, they went back home and Ashley received a text message inviting her over for a coffee. As I had mentioned, things had been really tough lately with COVID and all the fighting with Jason. Ashley really just needed this small break, so she asked her mother if she could watch Dylan for a little bit, and her mother agreed. She packed up everything that Dylan might need for the afternoon, including pull-ups and a snack, and then headed over to her mother Dorothy's. Dorothy didn't live in the best of neighborhoods, and that's not a judgment on her by any means, but I think it's important to note in this case— it was a lower-income area that had tattered homes, and Dorothy's house itself was just down the street from a halfway house. And again, I'm not judging, but location is important when you're talking about a missing child. After Ashley had dropped Dylan off and gone to her friends, Dorothy decided to take Dylan out into the backyard for a bit to play with her puppy. The pair of them had a ton of energy that they needed to burn off. They ran around and played for a bit, and then Dorothy decided it was time to put the puppy on its chain so that she could focus her attention on Dylan. 
Now, according to Dorothy, who would walk through the following events over and over again with the police, it only took about 18 seconds from the time that she turned her back to clip the puppy onto its chain, only to find Dylan missing when she turned back around. There are only two exits out of the backyard, one out onto the street, which is where Dorothy ran towards to yell for Dylan, or between a gap in the fence that led to the brook, which is where police seemed to focus their efforts. 911 was called and police arrived at the scene quickly, where they got all of the details from Dorothy. According to Dorothy's statements, even though she said right away that she believed he had been taken, as soon as she told the police that Dylan loved water, they seemed to really focus in on that theory that Dylan ran through the gap in the fence, across a neighbor's backyard, through the brush to get to the brook. In total, this would have been around 81 meters or 88 yards away. It appears that police focused much of their efforts on searching the brook and where it ran into the river, especially when they found the boots. And because they believed that they were looking for a little boy who may have fallen into the water, they didn't initially treat the situation like a possible abduction. They waited between three and four hours before issuing an alert that a three-year-old was missing, which could have been a pivotal time to get the word out. And what police issued wasn't an Amber Alert, which sends out widespread media broadcasts on TV, radio, and wireless devices. What they actually issued is called a non-intrusive alert, which doesn't have the same in-your-face, all-over-the-country kind of notification. The reason being is one of the requirements for issuing an Amber Alert is that there needs to be immediate evidence of criminality, and in Dylan's case, there wasn't. And I know that police are just following protocol with the guidelines that they're given, so no hate there, but it sounds to me like the requirements might need to change. If a child is taken, and no one sees the child being taken, there may not be any evidence left behind to suggest that a crime has occurred, but that doesn't mean that it hasn't. We all know that urgency is absolutely key in finding a missing child, so it seems to be a bit of an oversight that not all missing children elicit an Amber Alert response. That's just my opinion, though. I love to travel. From the bustling city of Tokyo to the beaches of Thailand, there's nothing I enjoy more than getting the chance to see the world and experience different cultures firsthand. But the language barrier, it can be an issue. Sure, you can use an app on your phone, but things often get lost in translation. I truly believe that learning at least some of the language of the land that you're visiting is the first step to ensuring a smooth and meaningful experience. That's why I'm excited about Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language that you want to learn. Rosetta Stone has been the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Japanese, Spanish, German, Korean, Italian, and more. Learning a new language can be tough especially with all of the different nuances. But Rosetta Stone is designed to help you speak like a local, so you'll feel confident in what you're saying. I don't know how many times I've been traveling to a new country and struggled to get my point across just because I wasn't properly pronouncing something that I thought I knew, which is why I love Rosetta Stone's built-in true accent feature, which helps you master your accent. 
They also have convenient desktop and app options so you can learn on the go. Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership includes all 25 languages. So once you're finished learning one language, you can start on another. Whether you're an avid traveler like me or just want to impress your friends with a new skill, it's a steal of a deal at 50% off. That's right, 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Serial Napper listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today today. Now back to our story. It appears that police never really investigated the disappearance as anything other than a little boy who had run away. There was never really a criminal investigation conducted, which is unfortunate because Dylan still has never been found, not in the brook, not in the river, or otherwise. Still, I mean, the brook theory is not totally out of the question. Leper Brook itself isn't all that deep, and like I said, it's full of brush. But the brook does lead to the Salmon River, which was particularly high that day. Truro had received a ton of rain, and the river was practically overflowing on the day that Dylan went missing. And the Salmon River, it runs into the Bay of Funday, which has the highest tides on the planet. Seriously, I had no idea, but the Bay of Funday is one of the seven wonders of North America. Some of its tides go as high as 56 feet, which is about the height of a five-story building. If a person were to be swept into the Bay of Funday, finding their body would be difficult, unless they were to eventually wash up on shore. And as I mentioned, police did try to recreate the situation with a mannequin matching Dylan's weight by floating it down the brook. And they did have a hard time getting it to actually go with the flow. Most of the time, it got caught up on rocks and brush, but eventually they did get it to go down the brook and into the river. What's interesting, though, is that on the day that Dylan disappeared, the water wasn't flowing hard enough to push his boots downstream. Remember, his boots were found caught up in the brush. I don't know what to think of all this because I'm by no means an expert in water flow, so it's difficult to say what could have happened with the perfect circumstances. The search for Dylan in the waterways was quite extensive, but beyond the rubber boots, nothing was found. And six days later, the official search was called off. Dylan's father, Jason, continued and still continues to this day to search around the brook and river a couple of times a week with a group of volunteers. But again, nothing has been found to point back to Dylan going into the water, and many have begun to wonder if he had ever gone into the water at all. About a month after Dylan went missing, Ashley and Jason announced a $10,000 crowdfunded reward for any information leading to finding their son. Shortly after this, people began to become suspicious of the parents, as they always seem to do. Stories of their past, as well as insane rumors, began to fly around. Word got out about that altercation between the couple that had taken place just four days before Dylan's disappearance, and many began to speculate that maybe it somehow had something to do with Dylan going missing. 
I've got to say, both Ashley and Jason have been fully forthcoming with what happened with their fight and their charges and admitting to all of their mistakes. But still, these stories, they were enough for web sleuths to begin digging into their past. Groups started popping up all over Facebook that were just horrible to the parents, digging into anything that could be found on either Jason or Ashley that would paint them in a negative light. That's when Ashley's TikToks would be found. Now, prior to Dylan's disappearance, and I'm talking weeks and months, not days, Ashley had made a few different videos on her TikTok account that people believed to be suspicious. One of them was a video with her and Dylan and a little voiceover that said, this motherfucker is going to be the reason I go to jail. She used one of those pre-made sounds that someone else made that you can just use to put over your video. It wasn't a sound that she created. The other video made included a parody of the song, Do You Want to Build a Snowman from Frozen? But instead it said, help me hide a body. Come on, we can't delay. People really thought that these videos could be a sign that she had planned to do something to Dylan. Personally, I don't believe that at all. Thousands of people have used these sounds and others even worse on TikTok, but it doesn't mean that they would kill someone or did kill someone, especially their own child. But the web sleuths, the Facebook groups, and even people in their local community ran with it. This was straight up bullying and harassment of a family of a missing child. Even when Ashley would do something as simple as go to the grocery store, people would yell at her that she was a baby killer. Ugh, it makes me sick to read that. Like, I just can't even imagine. You're grieving. You're wondering what has happened to your child. Your baby is missing, and people are yelling at you that you're a baby killer in one of the darkest moments of your entire life. I'm on a lot of different Facebook groups for unsolved cases and disappearances, and I've seen it happen myself. People are ruthless, and they forget that everyone is innocent until proven guilty. One of the worst things you can do is to bully the parent of a missing child while they're grieving. In this case, Ashley and Jason fought back, and they took the cyber bullies to court. Administrators of the Facebook pages were ordered to shut down the groups. There is still a Facebook group that both parents are active in called I Am Missing Dylan Ehler Search Updates, and I'll post the link in my show notes so that you can keep up to date without supporting one of those BS Facebook groups that thrive on drama. Even with these horrible groups gone, it didn't end the gossip, the rumors, and the horror that the parents would face. There was at one point a rumor that Dylan was actually murdered and had been buried at the location of his memorial site. So people actually took it upon themselves to destroy the memorial by digging it up. Of course, nothing was found buried there, but how horrific. If you think you have solid tips, report it to the police to follow up on. Digging up the memorial site of a missing child, a memorial that includes a blanket with teddy bears, a toy fishing rod, and Dylan's little rain boots, that's just next-level disgusting. Dylan's parents also began to receive ransom calls and text messages. Unidentified people would say that they had Dylan and would kill him if the parents didn't pay a certain amount of money. In one ransom, Someone had actually photoshopped a picture of Dylan with bruises all over his face to look like they had him and they were hurting him, and they would only return him upon being paid. Police were never able to trace where these disgusting ransom messages were coming from, only to say that they didn't believe any of them were real. So here we are, a year and a half later, and we still have not found Dylan. 
The relationship between the local police and Dylan's parents has been incredibly strained. The parents feel as though the investigation hasn't been handled properly. For example, they feel like people were not interviewed, processes weren't followed, and places weren't searched because police never really treated this like a criminal investigation. Dylan's dad, Jason, has written emails and complaints to the police, and he's even held protests at the police station, which has frustrated the local law enforcement, and in turn, they refuse to work directly with Jason. So I made a police complaint with the police commissioner, and a day later, the chief had called me, and he, he said, you know, I thought we were on the same page um, and then you go and make a police complaint. He's like, now you're not talking to the lead investigator. You've slowed down your son's investigation. You're only to get one email a week. And that is when Robert Hearn took over Dylan's case. But not in writing, just they keep saying, Corporal Emery's the lead investigator, but he's not. Because any questions I ask, Rob answers. And that's been since day one. So in this situation with the missing child, I'm under the understanding from other professionals that you get one lead investigator. One. He takes everything. And I've, we've never had that. We've never had him come down and, you know, buy us a coffee, see how we're doing, talk about Dylan's case. It was never like that. It was, go the fuck home, your son drowned that day. Um, and Robert Hearn, the deputy chief, I mean, you guys are going to get rid of Chief McNeil, but the worst part of it is Rob's a monster. He's deputy chief. He's the worst one. Um, he's taken my phone away from me and said, you're not recording this session. And he pretty well told off all of us, me, Ashley, Norm, I think my sister was there, just laid into us. We need to stop this back and forth stuff. We need to come to the realization that your son drowned that day. We need to stop this back and forth now. What kind of cop says that? What kind of cop says that? He said also in that same meeting, the only reason we look for your child because we have to because we assumed he drowned. And I'm not supposed to get angry. The police deny that they haven't treated it like a criminal case. They stated that they did all the appropriate canvassing and investigating, and that Jason's constant scrutiny is only slowing them down. I can understand why Jason reacts the way that he does. He feels like the police have let his boy down, and I'm sure any parent in his shoes would do the same. But at the same time, we don't always see what is happening as part of an investigation. And I'm honestly, truly hopeful, just hopeful, that the police have continued to do everything that they can to find answers as to what really happened to Dylan. As of now, this is pretty much all of the information we have. The only items of interest that have ever been found have been Dylan's rain boots. There's no other evidence in this case. And sadly, beyond the devastation of having a missing child, this family is quite fractured. Dylan's mother, Ashley, says that she no longer speaks to her mother, Dylan's grandmother, Dorothy, who was watching him that day. 
Ashley refuses to call her mom and feels like she can't even look at her since Dylan went missing, particularly because she feels like her mother hasn't been 100% forthcoming with the timeline of events. And I guess I do also have to question the timeline. I know that kids can be fast and disappear from your sight very quickly, but that 18-second window of turning your back and then he's gone and nowhere to be found, it just doesn't really sit right with me. I am, of course, not saying that Dorothy did anything to hurt Dylan. I just wonder if maybe that's not the complete timeline because perhaps some mistakes were made. Maybe she wasn't watching Dylan as closely as she says she was. And it can happen to anyone. None of us are really capable of paying 100% attention all the time. It should be noted that Dorothy has passed a polygraph test that was given to her by the police and that she is not under investigation. Truro police also maintain that there has been no sign of foul play. Everything truly points to Dylan going into the brook near where the boots were recovered. Still, Dylan's parents are calling for change, and I think it's an important initiative that they're trying to have pushed through. There is an online petition calling for the creation of a new emergency alert system called the Ealer Alert, which would be an additional option when the requirements are not met for an Amber Alert. The Ealer Alert would facilitate the rapid distribution of information to the public about young children lost in potentially hazardous environments. The petition also has almost 3,000 signatures, and I'll include the link in my show notes if you'd like to go ahead and sign it. I really do think that there is a need for something like this, something to get the word out quickly about a missing child who may have fallen into the water or gotten lost in the woods or any other situation like that. There needs to be a way to get the information out to the mass as quickly as possible. According to the timeline, in Dylan's case, it took two hours after the initial 911 call for a police search to take place, and the non-intrusive alert was issued over three hours after Dylan was reported missing. This could have been pivotal time to have more boots on the ground and more eyes open looking for this child. While there has never been any other evidence uncovered, no footprints, no other items of Dylan's to be found, no eyewitnesses, Ashley and Jason continue to search for answers as to what happened to their little guy. And I can't imagine the pain and agony of just not knowing what happened. So I'm hoping we can continue to share this far and wide and keep Dylan's story and his adorable little face out there so that he's not forgotten and maybe someday he can come home. That's it for me tonight. I'd like to once again thank our sponsor. Make sure you check out Garage Stores with a Z. For all of your vehicle accessory needs. Like I said, they have a huge selection of vehicle accessories, free shipping in the US, buy reviews, and a no hassle return policy. Make sure you check out their link in my show notes. Anytime you support my sponsors, you also support me. As for me, if you want to reach out, you can find me on Facebook at Serial Napper. You can also search for me on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Check me out on Twitter at Serial underscore Napper, or I'm on YouTube, Nikki Young, Serial Napper, and that's all one word. Until next time, stay safe and take care of the ones you love. Bye.
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.